Hello, and thanks for joining us at Providence Church. It has been an amazing week here where we have seen the vision of our church come alive. You see, at Providence, we're all about seeing people just connect with Jesus. And this week, we hosted 370 children for Vacation Bible School. It was a very fun and rowdy week, but it was also just filled with so much love and so much of God's Spirit as all these children heard about Jesus' love for them and how their lives with Him can make a difference in the world. And so I found myself saying this lately, but I just want to say it to you again. I'm so proud of you, Providence Church. You know, we asked for 80 volunteers to help us pull off this week, and we had 160. 160 of you volunteered every night this week to share this love and light. So I know some of you are out of town now or maybe just chilling out, worshiping at home online, and I wanted to say thank you. We had 50 teenagers who were servants this week, so it was just it was just spectacular. And I'm gonna be letting you know how we saw God move in those stories that come out of this week, but I just wanted to say thank you and let you see a little bit of the beauty of what happened here. The first Christmas that my wife Rachel and I were married, I wanted to give her a very special gift. You know, first Christmas, something memorable. So I made her a coffee table. <laughs> I'm not a craftsman, but I had someone who was help me design and build this epic Christmas gift. So does your wife want a custom-made coffee table for her first Christmas? Well, I think that goes without saying, meaning she never said that then or since. Here's the deal. I gave her a coffee table. She unwraps it. She was very surprised. I remember what she said. She said, oh, it's a coffee table. And I thought, mission accomplished. I was so proud of that table. And I'm telling you this because I don't really make stuff. It was one of the first and only things I've made. And so when people come over, I try to get them to notice the coffee table. I might say like, what do you think about the coffee table? And they're going to say, it's nice. And then I tell them, I made it. It's my creation. I was reflecting on that this week, uh, things that have been built and created. And actually, last week, Rachel and I, we took our oldest daughter, Mary, to New York City for a graduation trip. She just graduated from high school. Mary had never been there. We loved showing her around this amazing city. And one of our stops was the Empire State Building. And if you've been there, as you make your way to the elevators to go to the top, you walk through this sort of historical tour of how the Empire State Building was built. It's fascinating. The Empire State Building was a marvel of creation for its time in the 1930s. 102 stories. It was the tallest building in the world, all, all the way up until 1970 when the World Trade Center was built. It took 3,500 people working two different 12-hour shifts to build it, and they built it in 18 months. It was an amazing feat to build this building in that short a period of time. We marveled at this creation. We also took Mary on a tour of the 9-11 Museum at the site of ground zero of the World Trade Center where the attacks took place. It is, if you haven't been there, it's a breathtaking exhibit as you remember the great tragedy that, you know, remember, it took our breaths away. And you stand on the literal site of those two majestic towers and you can see where pillars stood and iron was welded and now it's gone, destroyed. And they have in the museum some of this debris is sort of scattered around. There's the spire from the top. There's a fire truck that was mangled in the wreckage. And you reflect there of how a great creation from a great creator was destroyed. And when we see that, especially with the loss of life, we feel the pain, the pain of a creator's intention disrupted by evil, brokenness, and yes, sin. When the early Christians were putting together a list of the essential beliefs, 
Well, it culminated in a statement we're looking at called the Apostles' Creed. The second line refers to God as the maker of it all, the creator. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The story of God creating, making all of this, it's the first story in the Bible, but it's also a story that's held central all throughout the scriptures. There's whispers of it, echoes of it, and it's brought right before us all throughout. When some of the biggest questions are made in the scriptures, people refer, even Jesus would, refer back to creation. I want to read just a bit of it to you. It's right in the very front of the Bible. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated it from the darkness. This first day of creation, God creates in a place of nothingness and void by his voice by his word. Light comes out of darkness because God says light. And when God sees that he's done this, he sees and he says that it is good and he calls that first thing a day. And this is repeated as the first Tuesday and Wednesday. They weren't called that, but you know, the first Thursday come to being. Things like this. God says water and there's water and then he says it's good and he calls it a day. And then dry ground and vegetation. And then he sees that it's good and he calls it a day. And then the sun and the moon and birds and livestock on the fifth day. All these things. He says, this is so good and new days are created. And then on the sixth day, God creates a truly special creation. Different from all the rest. Humans. A man and a woman. These, we are told in Genesis chapter 1, he creates in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And God blesses this special creation, and then he looks at them and all that he's made, and he says, this is very good. You know how when you look in the mirror this morning and said, this is very good. Oh, you didn't? Well, that's how God feels. I know you don't always feel that way, but that's how God sees us. His majestic, monumental creation, worthy of marveling at. And so we come into God's house, and he says, have you seen my people? He says, I made them. They are my creation." And a central belief of being a believer is that we're not living in an accident. We don't believe that some particles figured out how to connect in a way that led to intelligent life. We don't believe that we're a random petri dish floating in an endless universe, but that we were and all of this was created by a creator, a maker. We believe that God is the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. So God made it all. And we believe God made it all out of nothing. A very important distinction. This distinguishes God from Eiffel or the Empire State Building crew or Picasso or Jacob, the coffee table maker. He's the only one that can create out of nothing. God called it good. God put us in it. And then it got destroyed, messed up. You know, not beyond all recognition, but some days it's close, isn't it? Sin entered into the creation. Somehow, the Creator allowed the creation to choose good or evil, to choose Him or Satan, and there's this mess now. And yet we see that all along God has had in mind and is implementing a great rescue story that comes through His Son, Jesus, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary and suffered under Pontius Pilate. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Today, what we're going to focus on, would you marvel with me at the Father? the maker of heaven 
and earth. I've wondered, you know, why is this phrase included as the intro to the Apostles' Creed? This, our core beliefs, and this is one of the first things. And I think there are three reasons. I'm going to share them with you. And I'm leaning on what many have said about what's called the doctrine of creation over the centuries. So I'm pulling from our history here. And if you can grab a hold of these uh, few things, your whole life will have meaning and power. So here we go. The first one is this. All things belong to God. Sounds simple, but, but stay with it. All things belong to God. In Romans, it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. Let me say that again. From him and through him and to him are all things. What do we mean by all things here? All things. All your things. Everything. It reminds me of the great uh, question that sometimes ask of an elementary school kid. You know, mom says, I want you to pick everything up in your room. And what does the kid say? They look around and they say, everything? And mom says, everything. The child looks around again and says, everything? What, what, what the kid's wondering is, What's mom be, what does mom mean by everything? Well, mom says, everything. What mom means by everything is everything. What belongs to God? What is God's? Everything. The psalmist took a stab at it when he wrote, The heavens are yours, God, and yours also is the earth. You founded the world and all that is in it. That's Psalm 89. David, in another psalm, gave his best shot at explaining it. He said, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The Apostle Paul, coming much later, comes at it with the understanding that Jesus was there as the creating word in Genesis. Listen to how he says. He says, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So why so many verses about this? Why at the beginning of the creed? Because this understanding that everything is really God's, it's the foundation for how a believer lives. Think about it. Uh, one example is like how Christians give, give, uh, give so many things. I think about here at this church, we give up your money so kids can be fed in Haiti or people can have water in Nicaragua or children can know Jesus in Mount Juliet. Because why? The money belongs to God. It's just the first of June. I looked, you guys already at Providence Church have given over $1.3 million to the ministry of the church just in five months here at Providence. Why? Because the faithful followers of Jesus here believe their money is not really their money. When people give to the church a tithe or 10%, they're not saying, I think that 10% of what I have belongs to God. No, they're saying, I think that all I have belongs to God. And so I honor you, God, with this significant amount and I'll give you whatever else you ask. And I'll just tell you, not that giving money is an easy part, but it's easier than some of the things that follow from that. This understanding that all things belong to God, that means your job belongs to God. It means your marriage is fully God's. It means your kids belong fully to the Father. It means your body, your mind, all belong to God. All created things belong to God. We spend a lot of our time thinking how we relate to other people, and we should, right? That's a big part of life. But this line of the creed, it invites us to think about how we relate to God. Pastor John Piper has a wonderful sermon on this uh, doctrine of creation. And he says, we may think of ourselves as owners only in relation to other people. That is, they have no right to take certain things from us without compensation. So this isn't saying like everything is everybody's, but listen to this. He says, but in relation to God, we own nothing, absolutely nothing. 
and He has every right to dispose of us and our so-called possessions exactly as He pleases. Now, I hear that and I think, that sounds like He's taking it a bit too far. But we have to remember, we are the created, not the Creator. There is a created order established by the Creator. And when planes are intentionally flown into buildings, or when 300 rounds of ammunition are taken into an elementary school and dispensed, life is taken, the created order is broken because we were not given license over all these things. Paul says it this way, he says, it is the potter who has the rights over the clay, not the other way around. And so when a bunch of clay starts telling the potter what to do, it's messy and it's broken. Creation, it's not about me being able to do whatever I want. It's actually asking, how do I relate to the Creator? So number two in my listing here is that all things have purpose. So all things belong to God, and with a Creator, all things have purpose. If there is an intentional creative God, then everything that is created has a purpose. Nothing is meaningless. If there's a Maker, there's a purpose. That's why in the Apostles' Creed, if there's no Maker, we're all just marking time here on a meaningless earth, but we're not. You know, like my, my coffee table, I might say to you, hey, before you set your glass on the coffee table, why don't you use a coaster? Why? Because the table has a maker and the table has a purpose. It was intended to show my great love for my beloved. Yes, that may sound weird, but that's what I chose. You don't have to understand that. I'm the creator of the table. And yes, guys, I'm still using the coffee table illustration because I love it, the coffee table and the illustration. But what I'm saying is this means your Sunday afternoon has a purpose. It is a created gift from God. It means this season of your life, let's say this season with your teenager, has a purpose. It means, yes, you serving sandwiches to families at Vacation Bible School is full of meaning. And it's more than that. It means your suffering, your pain, your searching right now are not meaningless. They're filled with purpose. For what purpose, we might ask? Giving glory to God. And when creation gives glory to the Creator, the creation experiences what it is made for, and it's finally fully alive. There's so much purpose in creation. It's why this week when I was hanging out at Vacation Bible School, I would go, I'd look at the four-year-old class. It was this amazing place, the four-year-old class at Vacation Bible School. And if you had been there with me, you would have marveled at these kids too. They weren't accomplishing anything. But when you look at them, what do we see? Their purpose as God's creation. God said, I created Israel, his people. Israel is the people of God. He said, I created Israel for my glory. There's purpose. We read in Ephesians that it says, uh, rebellious creatures are brought back to God for this purpose, to live for the praise of his glory. We have a purpose as God's creation which leads to my third point, and that is, if all things belong to God and all things have a purpose, then it follows that we need God for all things. Not for this or that, not for a few things. We need God for all things. And so if you feel innately, you know, in your bones, I can't be responsible for all this stuff that's before me, that's because your heart is telling you there's a maker, there's more. If you feel innately right now in your life, there has to be some purpose in what I'm going through. Even in the brokenness, your heart's telling you there's a maker. And if you feel innately, like I do, a need, a a desperate need for God, that's your heart telling you there's a maker. 
And at the center of it all, the creating, the purpose, the need, at the center of it all is Jesus. It's about our need for Jesus. So back to uh, Colossians. It says, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. It says, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So we might think, well, that's great, but what about the problem? What about the destruction? What about the sin? Keep reading with me, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he, Jesus, might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile what all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I want to read just a little bit more to you. It says, once you and I were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. And so if you continue in your faith, would you do that? If you continue in your faith, in your belief, if you keep going established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to who? Every creature under heaven. So we must continue in our faith. That's what you're being urged to do today to continue in your faith, to continue in your belief, to be established in it, to be firm in it. And by proclaiming what we believe, we, be, we continue to stand firm and to keep going. So I want to invite you, wherever you are, if you can, to say this with me, what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.